0: With that, uh, I'd like to introduce uh, our, per, our speaker for tonight. So as I mentioned, we're, we're really excited to have Narutama Prabhu speaking to us on Krishna consciousness at work tonight. He's served in a wide variety of duties and occupations in uh, over three decades as a devotee. He's been a temple priest in Dallas, vegetarian caterer, a distributor of Srila Prabhupada's books on Krishna consciousness, uh, a toy salesman, and preacher in China. Currently, um, as you can see, he uh, serves as a truck driver traveling across the country <laughs> and he'll be offer, he'll be able to offer us a deep and unique perspective of how to progress, uh, progress on the path of bhakti yoga wherever our professional routes take us. So thank you for joining us again tonight, Prabhu. It's, it's great to see you again. I
1: It's
0: my Hare. pleasure. Thank you. Hare Krishna. So, our first question for tonight, we'd like to know briefly what caused you to get involved in the path of bhakti, uh, specifically Krishna consciousness.
1: Um, Interestingly enough, I was just a young kid, like, in my early, early teens, and, um, you know, into music, into partying, into, like... Um, you know, just hanging out, and uh, some of my friends influenced me, and uh, I actually, I received a book at O'Hare Airport from one Prabhupada disciple, his name was Prataparam Prabhu, and um, he was a young guy, he was, he's from Australia, he's the temple president for the uh, what is it, Surfer's Paradise Temple. He, him and his wife opened that temple. And Patapuram Prabhu, he was the vice president for the Chicago Temple at that time. And he was also doing a degree in law at the University of Chicago. So between his service as vice president and going to college, he would spend part of his time distributing books at the O'Hare Airport which I don't know if you know this, but Prabhupada asked our sankirtan leader, at that time his name is chipperari Swami, to go to the managers of the O'Hare airport and ask them to change the name from O'Hare, which is spelled H-A-R-E, to O'Hare Krishna.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> which he did. He did do it, but uh, of course they didn't change it, you know, but uh, anyway, so um Prabhu, he stopped me in O'Hare Airport and gave me a Srimad Bhagwatam First Candle Part Two. And um, I was waiting for a friend of mine. His name is Tom Price. Now, Tom Price, he was a defensive end for Kansas State University. He was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. And what happened is he got a bad knee injury and they told him if he got hurt again in college football, that um, he might not walk. If he got hurt again in football, he might not be able to walk after that. And so his dad, who was an executive for Learjet at the Chicago O'Hare Airport, gave him an amazing job there. So he, he finished his college degree, but he started working at O'Hare instead of pursuing the professional football. And um, I, had come, I had flown into the airport and I was waiting for him to drive me home. I was still young. I was uh, 16, just turning. I just turned 17. No, uh, yeah, I just turned 17. So um, as I was waiting, that's when Pratapadam Prabhu approached me and gave me the Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto part two. So I met Tom Price later, and um, I really looked up to him because... You know, he had graduated from college. He was great at football. He was a best friend to me. He's working successfully. And I I really looked up to him. He was like an older brother figure to me. And um, so he told me that he'd also, he saw me with the book. We drove home together. It's about a maybe 45 minute drive from the airport to where I was living in Crystal Lake. And um, he told me he'd also gotten a book. So we started to talk about the Bhagavatam and um he like he was helping me pronounce like i was reading a little bit to him and asking him about it and uh he was like helping me pronounce words like maharaj and different words terms in it but um the main thing was that he he knew i was making bad choices at that time you know just getting into partying and everything so then um he was telling me that he had read um, and he thought this was like so good for me that it would give me a, a higher understanding of life. And he really encouraged me, you know, to read. Mm-hmm. So when I got home, I just started reading and I really was so impressed by Prabhupada's mm-hmm. words. Like I felt like it was like my best friend talking to me. And, uh, you know, and I'd been raised a Catholic. Our family is Italian. We're, we're Italian Germans, and Irish mix. So, um, but I grew up in an Italian community in Chicago. And um, so, you know, it was like, in those days, it was still praiseworthy, like if a son became a priest and, you know, things like that were still intact. And um, so I had an interest in like, in religion. And also some of my older friends, I had some older friends through acquaintances and they were also like um, always kind of we were always kind of discussing on this philosophical things on the side, you know, because after a while you just get bored with your life. I mean, material life seems to be like that unless you just keep going from, you know, one form of entertainment to the next at a certain point, you know, you're just kind of like, well, what's next? So anyway, we started discussing the Bhagavatam and then I went home and I started reading it seriously. And there's a particular chapter in there that um, it's a uh, Nardamuni instructing Srila Vyasadeva. This is the first canto part two. And Nardamuni was taught ta- saying that the actually Srila Prabhupada in the commentary talking about how it's necessary to get the association of devotees to make spiritual advancement. So my mother had gone with my brother and sisters to Florida. And I was in Crystal Lakes near Chicago. Those days, it was like a a country town. Those days, so we, um, I was more or less at home. I was at home by myself. And um, and, um, so I thought, yeah, I have to meet the devotees. Like, and I thought, well, they must be at the airport. So I went back to the airport. I took my mother's car, drove to the airport and I started looking for the devotees and it was like nighttime by then. It was like seven o'clock at night but there was this announcement. I still remember it today. There was this announcement over to PA and it was saying, the U.S. Supreme Court has passed a ruling that religious organizations may distribute flowers, books, and other types of paraphernalia in the Air, O'Hare airport in no ways is condoned by the Chicago O'Hare airport administration. <laughs> so when I, when I heard that it had just the opposite effect on me, like I thought, oh my God, they must be here. Otherwise, why would they be making this announcement? So I ran all over the airport. I couldn't find anybody. And then I remembered that Prataparam Prabhu, he had given me a Back to Godhead magazine with the bhagavatam and um you know i gave some like paltry donation for the book and, and um you know it was such a beautiful book uh i remember i remember once a radio interview with one of the uh, bbt um he was the chairman of the bbt in those days his name was rameshwar swami and on this air on this radio program let me think was it him uh no, 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 it was under Maharaj. And on the interview, this man was asking Maharaj, oh, no, 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 it was Ramashwaramash. And he, he was asking, you know, um, why are you, you know, uh, uh, trying to get money for your books? And, and, and so, um, you know, Ramashwaramash was explaining, well, whatever money we get, we're using it to further, you know, these teachings to print more books. And he said, well, why do you make the book so expensive? You know, and uh, Rameshwar Maharaj was saying um, to him that um, he was saying to him, um, well, why do you want the, all the other books to be expensive and beautiful and you want the book about God to be cheap? And uh, that, so this, there was some discussion like that and you know about why we were asking for donations. Anyway, so... Um, I had gotten the book. I started reading it. And um, so then I, I got, so I, I went to the airport and I heard the announcement. Nobody was there. I went back home and I got the found the back to Godhead magazine and Pratam Prabhu had showed me, you know, addresses of temples all over the world. And he said, you know, we have a nice place here in Chicago. And uh, those days it was a YMCA right? like on the uh, one block off the university of uh, Northwestern university campus. Mm. And, and uh, you could see it in films with Srila put there. And um, um, so, you know, he showed me the addresses and he said, you know, if you're interested, just come by sometime, you know, when you, so I went back home, I raced back home and I got on the phone and I called the Chicago temple and uh, this one devotee he answered um, I don't know if you know him but he's a spiritual master now his name's Kratu Prabhu his grace is Kratu Prabhu he's mm-hmm. an Indian uh, he's a Gujarati Indian and he has a very high voice so he answered the phone Hari Krishna <laughs> and I was <laughs> I was like <laughs> I was like you know uh, yeah Hari Krishna I said uh, I got one of the books in the airport I want to come by the temple you know I want to come by the center and meet you, all of you. Then he said, Oh, I'm so sorry. All the devotees are sleeping. You know, it was like 930 at night. And I was like on the other side of the phone, you know, like, wait a minute, you don't understand. This is important. Like, you know, I mean, this is my spiritual life. I'm so interested. Can I come now? No, no, you can't. I said, can I talk to anybody? No, everybody's sleeping. I was like, what do you mean? And then he said, "Uh, you know, you have to come tomorrow. So um, I got in my mom's car, drove to the temple, the next day. And I remember pulling up in front of the temple wondering whether I should go in or not. And uh, because like I had never been, I mean, I was born in Melrose Park, which is a suburb of Chicago. And I had been in like a downtown Chicago with my mom and stuff growing up and things like that. But when I pulled up, it was just like, I was going into like some kind of shock. Like I had never seen a neighborhood like that, the, you know, old buildings and everything. And then right while I was questioning whether I should go in or not, this devotee comes bouncing down the front stairs of the temple. He looked like he probably weighed about 300 pounds and with a bright orange clothing on with his head shaved. And I just went into like total culture shock. And, uh, I, I was thinking, man, this, this these knowledge is so good, but these guys look like they're from another planet.
2: <laughs>
1: so then I was waiting, waiting, whether I should go in or not. People were walking past on the sidewalk, and I thought, okay, anyway, Krishna somehow inspired me in like a, uh, from within my heart. And I thought, okay, anyway, I've driven all the way here. Let me go inside. So I went inside, and there was a devotee. And his name is Ratna Bahu Prabhu. So these are all Prabhupada disciples and um and Ratna Prabhu he greeted me and I told him about the book and I told you know I had Pratapam Prabhu had written his name inside the book and told me to ask for him if I ever came so I asked for him but he was at college studying you know so they asked another devotee to come in so this one very famous devotee, his devotee's is Pragosh Prabhu he came out and he started preaching to me and then this other devotee came in who was later my bhakti leader. His name is Kashiram. And, he, and these two were like competing to preach to me. <laughs> so, I, and, and what was so surprising to them as I was agreeing with them, because like I had already read like, you know, three quarters of, a, of one of those big volumes of the Bhagavatam. And uh, so, like, he, one devotee was preaching to me, you're not the body, I would say, okay. Another devotee was preaching to me, material civilization, you know, is not going to make you happy, okay. And they were like, what? You agree with that? I was like, so then they, I was already a vegetarian. Some friends of mine convinced me to be a vegetarian. They were professional nurses, husband and wife. And they were, they taught me how to be a vegetarian because of, for medical reasons, But when I started reading the Bhagavatam, like I was telling you about being raised as a Catholic, um, like Prabhupada gave me like all the reasons, like why the things that I had learned as a Catholic and the things that I learned from, you know, my friends, like being a vegetarian, Prabhupada was giving like all the philosophical reasons in the Bhagavatam and it's so deeply enriching and it's so fortifying Mm -hmm. Like I can remember like just from the first few book pages of the of reading like in the introduction, I felt like inspired to want to follow the principles, to want to be a devotee. It's an amazing transformation, you know, and um so anyway um. I remember they asked me, and I, I told them, well, I'm already vegetarian. They were, like, surprised. They asked me, what did I like to eat? So I like Asian food, by the way. <laughs> Italian and Chinese. I was kind of grown up, grew up like that. So, uh, yeah, so then um, I told them, what really I like to eat are these grated mushrooms. I don't know if you've ever had them, but they're really good, you know. And um, it's like a cauliflower pakora, though, but with a mushroom. And um, so they went in. So P- 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 Prabhu went in, and he got this big bowl of, of uh, like with like twenty um, fresh hot cauliflower pakoras and a big bowl of tomato chutney, and I'm just sitting there eating these cauliflower pakoras with the chutney, and just listening to him and Kashir and Prabhu competing to preach to me. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, to make a long story short. They invited me. That evening was a program. They showed me around the temple. It was like amazing. And um, that night, Tamal Krishna Goswami, who later became my spiritual master, initiating spiritual master, mm-hmm. was speaking. So I went to the program. They introduced me to him. They really like primed me that it would be the most important ex- a meeting of my life. And that I should pray to try to understand and to remember the things that he speaks to me about. And then, there were about 150 devotees there, and um, those days, the Chicago Ooh. Temple was really, really famous. It was the number one book distribution temple in the world. They were distributing like $100,000 worth of books per week. Wow. One 72-foot tractor trailer, you know, uh, uh, that the 53-foot trailer of, of Bhagavatam's every week. Wow. BBT had its own semi at that time. So... <laughs> Yeah, $100,000 in book sales. There were like 120 Sancton devotees. Everybody averaged about six, seven hundred to 1000 thousand, two thousand $2,000 a week in book sales. And um, anyway, that's a whole other topic we could have discussing about preaching. But so to get th- to finish this up, this is what inspired me. So um, they talked to me. I went to the program and then Tamal Krishna Goswami, um, he literally disentangled me in a 45-minute darshan from my whole material life, asked me so many questions about myself, and then made the philosophy so accessible and meaningful to me. And um, I remember at the end of the program, he asked me, what do you want to do after hearing all this? And I said... I want to take these books and give them to everybody I know. And the, all the devotees started cheering. Jai, honey, and it was like such a, uh, dramatic experience, you know? So then he called me up to him and, uh, they had made these huge oatmeal cookies. I still remember these big, big, warm, chewy oatmeal cookies. They were giving out to everybody with uh, hot milk at the end of the program. And the devotees were like patting me on the back and everything. And, and, um, so uh, my Guru Maharaj called me up to him. He gave me a big stack of cookies, like maybe five of those big cookies. And he said so many personal things to me. It was very like deep uh, and, and with a lot of love. And he asked me, why don't you come back on the weekend and spend the weekend here? Because I was working at that time. I was, a, I was an assistant chef. Um, I was a salad bar chef. I would set up the salad bar for a hospital. And uh, yeah, I was just 17. It was a summer break in the middle of the summer. And that's the job that I got. Okay, so I remember, um, I was like, really excited. I I remember driving home and like my whole worldview had expanded so dramatically. It was like, a rush like i i just i just couldn't believe that the way it like had transformed my consciousness and my life my my whole you know understanding of myself and the world and i was just thrilled by the whole experience so anyway that was a sunday or saturday so monday morning i went to work at the hospital and um you know so normally i would just cut up all this stuff for this huge salad bar in the cafeteria right all the vegetarian but that morning the supervisor came in and she called me over to her and she said hey you know the 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 master chef is sick today and i'm gonna need you to help us cook and i thought okay so she said you know what i want you to do is i want you to cook this side of beef oh so i don't know if you've ever seen a side of beef but it's literally like half of a cow yeah so, you know, so um, at, during the Darsham, one of the things that my Guru Maharaj explained to me was this term called Atmahara, means the killer of the soul. And he was talking about how, even though people seem to have good intentions for you, but because they don't have a spiritual understanding of life, actually they're killing your soul. Hmm. So, you know, what the point he was making to me is that you know, you, you have to go beyond being emotional in your relationships, you know, like like, uh, you know, someone might say, hey, you know, Winston, um, you know, a hey man, you're working so hard, you're getting up so early. You're doing, why don't you just come out and party with us and have a few beers or whatever, you know. Right. And um, so, you know, um, they might say that to you really nicely. And then your guru or maybe it's one of your friends, maybe somebody like
0: uh, I don't want to mention any names here. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that's and that's just yeah, that, that's all of my friends, by the way. <laughs> I'm gonna help myself, no I'm just kidding. And I, I've come.
1: <laughs> no, I thought I was the only one. The back to instant So there we go, man. All yeah. right, I'll be. I'll this be goes. Off, like,
0: oh my goodness! I was like, oh.
1: <laughs> hey. So anyway, so um, what ended up happening was this that um. He explained this term to me at Mahara, and um, the point is, the point that I'm making. Later, I discussed it with him. That, you know, generally we function on the emotional platform. If somebody emotion is emotionally supportive, even though it might be the worst thing possible for us, right? Like cooking a side of beef. <laughs> Uh, you know, the but they're just nice about it, and a and, and a devotee might be kind of heavy, like God, don't you? Like uh, this life could be over in a heartbeat, and you know, and you need to get more serious about your spiritual life. So you see, emotionally, you would go along with the person who wants you to cook with the side of beef because the other the, the devotee is being heavy. You know, the term heavy is the term, right? So, but if you're Rather than listening to your emotions, if you um, think about something intelligently, uh, uh, how, how should I say this? Rather than say, thinking about how something is being said, try to understand what is being said. Right. right. Mm. Emotional means you just listen to how something's being said. Yeah. Mm. And intelligent means you're listening to what is being said. Mm-hmm. Right? So anyway, Atmahara, he explained this to me. So I went in, you know, and there's the supervisor. And she was super nice to me, right? Like, oh, you know, um, I really need you to help. And, you know, this will be such a, 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 a nice service for the, for the hospital and everything. And so she brought me into this walking cooler. And there on this rolling table was this half side of beef. Mm-hmm. And she said, hey, I'm going to need you to cook this. And she said, don't worry, we'll show you what to do. So right at that moment, it was like my coffee break. So I asked her, I said, you know, um, would you mind if I take my break first before uh, I help with this? And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, no problem. So I went out in the hallway. Those days there were no cell phones or anything. So I went out in the hallway and there was a pay phone there. And I called up the temple and I asked the devotees on the phone. I said, hey, you know, would, would you guys mind coming and picking me up i'd like to i'd like to move into the temple i'd like to come and try out Krishna consciousness you know and they were like really excited on all right well hey somebody wants to join you guys you know and they like said okay my mom was in florida i was 17 i was literally for lack of a better term a runaway Uh, i'm one of those hari christian runaways you know (laughs) Uh, we're, we're not we're not supposed to talk about this you know anyway so yeah, so um, they came to the to my house, and I took the apron on, and I hung it on the cell phone, on the wall phone, on the payphone, and I walked out and went home, and I never went back.
2: Wow! Wow!
0: That's amazing. So
1: that's a little bit about it.
0: <laughs> it's like a movie. It's like the beginning of a movie. <laughs> it's amazing.
1: <laughs> i started i started writing down one of my god sisters been, in, you know k- keeps encouraging me to write down my experiences i started writing it down um you know if I, there's a lot more i learned so much in those days my gurus told me that i saw the end of the wave of enthusiasm that was created by Shula Prabhupada's personal association mm, i see which which was amazing wow that is amazing But anyway so now our topic i already talked enough about myself
0: you know that's actually a really great segue into our next question you know a lot of people have difficulties balancing and negotiating spirituality and demands of the workplace i mean having being asked to cut a side of beef um knowing what you knew at the time um, and what you were learning um you know with the devotees and Even in the Gita, Arjun, whose occupation was a soldier, you know, was confused due to a conflict of duties and dharmas. So how can we fulfill our material duties and at the same time make spiritual advancements today? Well, a simple example that I want
1: to start out with is the example of a scale, a balancing scale. So on a scale, you know, if you put something on one side and then you put um, an equally heavy item on the other side, the scale, the the scale will balance. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you put something much heavier on one side and lighter on the other side, the scale automatically tilts. So the, the first point is that if you, let's say you put 45 minutes of Krishna consciousness on one side of the scale, and you put 16 hours of material life on the other side of the scale. It's going to not ba- it's not going to balance. So that's the first point. The first point is that spiritual life is a series of progressive adju- adjustments to balance your material life and your spiritual life in a way that you can continue to advance spiritually. Mm. So now the next point I want to make is that, um, do you know about this term? It's called a hyperbolic curve. Mm -hmm. So a hyperbolic curve, let's, uh, let's just say, for example, where we are right now is point A. And being back with Radha and Krishna is point B. Right, and there's a straight line between point A and point B. Now, if at point A we just make a slight deviation from the teachings of our spiritual master and the previous uh, acharyas, at first it doesn't seem to be there, there. There doesn't seem to be anything wrong. But if you begin to follow that deviation, in the course of time, you're far, far away from point B. You see? So, um like Guru Mahars used to say, it's not a hyperbolic curve, it's a diabolic curve. <laughs> so, and, and what happens because of that is that we become exhausted. We become exhausted um, spiritually. Because um, just like say you make some advancement, but but at the same time you we're cultivating material desire or or we're not balancing our material and spiritual life enough. Then you know we're off the track. So now where we end, where where we where we are is the same distance from where we were when we were at point A. And if we keep repeating that, you know. We start to um, become illusioned into believing that my, your, our spiritual practices are not working because we're going over and over again the same fatiguing, you know, distances to get back to that straight line between point A and point B. So that's another point in. You know, in uh, the workplace, you know, um, so the so the question is how to stay, you know, on that straight progressive path and how to make progressive adjustments so that I, we can, you know, be enthusiastic by spiritual through spiritual realization. OK, so the, the first point is that um, association our association, we become just like the people that we associate with. Prahlad Maharaj in the Bhagavatam, he talks about looking in a mirror, that our association is just like looking in a mirror. It reflects. <laughs> it's it's a reflection. We become a reflection of our association. So Group um, Srila Rupa Goswami, he recommends that we search out like, minded association within the devotees. Of course, you know, we want to associate and respect and appreciate all the devotees, but also we're going to find that there are certain devotees that we're very like-minded with. And that, and that the beauty of that is that we begin to ex- have, um, we, it, it offers the opportunity of loving exchanges, yeah. right? There's a famous verse, the Dati ti, Guya makti Prichati, Bungte Bujayate Chayiva. What is it? Uh, something Priti Lakshana, Sarva Priti Lakshana. Anyway, it, there's, Ruba Goswami explains there are six symptoms of loving exchanges between devotees. Revealing re- one's mind in confidence, inquiring confidentially, giving gifts and receiving gifts, and, um, and offering prasadam and accepting prasadam are the six symptoms of love shared by one devotee and another. And really that's true in all relationships, but it becomes spiritualized in the devotional relationships because it's centering around Krishna and service to Krishna and loving Krishna all the things in spiritual life are there with the material life the just the difference is that krishna is present in the spiritual life yeah. you know we're we're going out for lunch or dinner with our friends we're talking to our friends you know about things that we're interested in or that you know that involve us we're giving gifts we're receiving gifts these things are all it's a, you know and people love one another for that yeah. so um The point I want to make is that, you see, in spiritual life, it's not that we can just go on doing some service and not cultivate loving relationships amongst one another and then suddenly at the end of our life, pop our heads up in the spiritual world and then get into it. (laughs) It's not going to work. So you know like pro Prabh- shila he said that the nectar of devotion is the uh, law book of ISKCON. now if you read nectar of devotion the whole book is just about relationships so you know how to cultivate that love it, those loving relationships we have to find like-minded devotees that we can, that we feel, you know, sheltered by and comfortable with, and an affection for and, and intimacy with, so that we can um, reveal our hearts and in and, and confidence and, and inquire confidentially and, you know, give gifts and receive gifts. You know, you see. P- Devotees we could invite over for prasadam. Of course, I mean, we could invite like anybody over for prasadam. In fact, that's a really nice thing. Um, I remember when in the Malabar, when um, the Pandavas were sent away, they were seemingly given part of the kingdom by Deerodhana. They were given this city called Varnavata. So in the city of Varnavata, Derodhana had sent this evil henchman, one of his ministers, his name was, um, his name was what? Prayochina? Prayochina? No, something like that, Prayochina. Something like that. Anyway, Prayochina, this man, he he was a minister of Derodhana. He'd do everything for money. He'd kill his own mother for money. So Derodhana had paid him off to go and build a palace and fill the walls with s- every type of flammable material they possibly could. And then wine and, you know, take care of the pond of us in such a nice way that <coughs> in the course of time, which took a year, we're comfortable living there and burn them. Alive in the mm. That was the plan. So Um, What happened at this time was, (coughs) uh, so there were three brothers, Dhritarashtra, who was a king. He was very powerful. had the strength of 10,000 elephants, but he was born blind. His next younger brother's name was Pandu, Pandu Maharaj. He became emperor because his older brother was blind. And he's the father of the Pandavas. And then the third brother is named Vidura. And he was disqualified to be part of the royal, you know, the, the, the aristocracy because his mother was a servant. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Mahadev just came on. Mahadev Prabhu. Hmm. I'm seeing his picture in the, on the screen, not you anymore, Bhakta Winston. Oh. <laughs> there. So now, so what happened was, what happened was Vidura knew what was going on. So, because he had these, you know, these men had spies and different intrigues and different people that, you know, were helping them or, or, or being paid to, to um, disclose information. So Vidura, Vidura spoke a riddle to Maharaj telling him that you're going to be killed by a weapon um, you know, that has no blade, but that's sharp. Anyway, so the, the Queen Kunti and the, and the other us, they asked Maharaj what did he say? And he said that when we get to this place, they're gonna try to burn us alive. Mm-hmm. No one could understand this riddle except for Maharajudister, told by Vidura. So Vidura, he sent a, an engineer there and uh, who disclosed himself as a well-wisher with all this like intimate information from Vidura. And he dug this um, tunnel out of the palace that no one knew of. Hmm. So what ended, up, what ended up happening was at the end of the year when this Prayochina was going to burn them alive, the Pandavas held a huge party in the palace. And they said, everybody in the city was invited. Everybody in the city of that was invited. So they all came there and they had a huge party. And there was one Sudra woman with her five sons. And, you know, at a party, they serve wine and liquor and things like that. So they had become so drunk that they fell unconscious in one of the rooms. Nobody knew about it. Anyway, so everybody went home after the party. And Krioshina was planning to light this this palace on fire and burn them that night. But what happened was Bhima... He knew about it, the Pandavas knew about it from this message from Vidura. So Bhima went into Praochina's room. So the way this palace was built was, one side of it was a gorgeous palace and the other side of it was the ramparts and a a, a warehouse for weapons. So the plan was that when he lit the palace on fire, if the fire didn't kill him, the explosion from all the weapons would kill them. Hmm. So anyway, so what happened was Bhima went in there and he killed Prayochina in his own room. He beat him to death. Bhima did that to this evil minister. And then Bhima, Bhima lit the palace on fire. And then the Pandavas escaped through that secret tunnel. Right? And the... um. And then the fire was so great that it lit up the entire city of Varnavata and everyone in the city came out. They said the fire was so strong, it was as if it was daytime out. Mm -hmm. So no one could go in to see if the Pandavas, what was happening and nobody could, they couldn't put the fire out. And then in the next day, when they finally got it all out. Yeah, they an engineer showed up, and he, acting like one of the citizens looking for the Pandavas' remains in the, in the ashes, he went and carefully covered up the entrance to the tunnels. And then they found the burnt bodies of that Sudra woman and the five brothers, the five her five children. And so they announced that the Pandavas were killed. And then Duryodhana and Dhritarashtra, they made this big a, a funeral and all their ashes that were brought there. And the Pandavas, they escaped out into the forest, way, way, way out into the forest, like in a place where only ferocious animals and other types of, like, um, well, those days they were called Rakshashas. But anyway, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> there, only those, uh, you know, ferocious animals and these Rakshashas dwelled in that place. And they lived out there. So the point that I'm making about is the intimacy that um, you know when you when we develop these relationships so 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 this point it was brought up in the Varnavata uh, pastime that when the pandavas first went there and started to rule Varnavata, they were re- it was recommended by Sri Vyasadeva that you invite you go invite everybody you know according to their um according to their uh social position to the palace and share prashadam with them Mm -hmm. and because by doing that by having that loving exchange with them they'll become inclined to let you rule to be the for you to be the ruler Mm -hmm. okay so I mean, I mean it's a practical social thing but it also has to do with deepening our relationships and developing affection for one another sure. so sharing prashadam is one of the best ways to do that yeah. but even more than that is developing an understanding of um relationships based on like-mindedness yeah. So when we do that, and then we cultivate that relationship, when we share Prashad with one another, when we reveal our hearts and in confidence, inquire confidentially, when we share gifts and receive gifts, you know, then we actually begin to experience and, and, and are able to actually practice devotional service. Because see, on our own we're just left with our faith and our discipline yeah. and our faith and our discipline, you know, can change. I mean, it, it, hopefully it just keeps getting stronger, but it may not. So when we're in the association of devotees, we get a taste like, um, <coughs> you know, in English, we have the word love Prophet explains, wow. but you know, the English language is very um, now it's post-industrial, yeah. but the word love, you know, we use it in a very, like um loose way you know like you could say well you know i love my wife um i love god um i love uh curry puffs and cranberries some uh chutney um i love my dog uh i love uh soccer you know so <clears throat> i'm using the same term to devi- define the feelings and the relationship that i have for my dog,
0: with my wife. Yeah, you know that's, you know that's really interesting. Um, you know the idea of, um, you know the importance of relationships in, in spiritual advancement. Um, you know what about in the workplace? You know because it seems like it's it's a lot easier if you can find like-minded devotees. You know in the temple, in service, on book distribution, um, but. Uh, what about if you're in a work environment you know does like your your krishna consciousness and your bhakti practice kind of have to be flicked off like a light or is there a way to kind of transfer that same you know uh mindset and consciousness into you know all the different jobs
1: Uh, yes yes so that's the next point Hmm. so the next point is that um now like if you study, let's just let's use, for example, a typical Hindu guy who comes to the temple. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, if you talk to him, he might be, say, um, a neuroscientist, right? Mm-hmm. So what I found that the Hindu guys do is they compartmentalize their identities. They compartmentalize their knowledge. Like when this guy's a Hindu, he's in the temple and he's a Hindu. He's bowing down, he's standing in the Arctic, you know, he's coming for gymnastomy. But when he's a neuroscientist, then he turns off his Hindu, he leaves the Hindu compartment of his brain and goes into the neuroscientist part of his brain. But the problem that they have is they can't, you know, they might be into, say, hearing the story of Lord Nishringa, they even think that's really far out or, or, you know, they might think, oh, the deities are very beautiful and like that. But when it comes to, you know, what is reality, you find that they generally go towards the Western worldview. Mm-hmm. You know, that things have come about from a sudden chance explosion and everything's based on quantum mechanics and, you know, and, and you know, just like in India today. So, you know, the, the prime minister of India, um, Prime Minister Modi, right? He's like totally Hindu, right? Like everything should be Hindu. But when they're faced with like these huge droughts that they're having in India right now, you don't see them going to Bhagavad Gita for a solution. Yeah that rain is based on sacrifice and for this age, sacrifice is the chanting of the holy name. They never do that. They go to Western science. So what I'm saying is deep down, when you go deep down into their hearts, they're actually very much affected by their materialistic association. Mm -hmm. They have, basically, they don't have faith or they don't, they are not, the point I want to make is they don't have, they're not intellectually satisfied enough by what they know spiritually to, um, to, 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 accept it over the intellectual information that they have received from, from a Western, you know, um, what is it called, uh, 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 you know, reductionistic, you know, for philo- uh, a worldview, mm-hmm. right? What's it called? Um, materialistic reductionism, Yeah. you know, how it goes, right? That, that there's the cells, the cells break down to molecules, the molecules break down to mm-hmm. subatomic, uh, to atoms, atoms break down to subatomic particles and the ultimate, you know, building block, our ultimate identity is, subatomic is a, a subatomic particle mm. right which are called which are called quarks yeah. <laughs> do you ever wake up in the morning and think that you're a quark <laughs>
0: all the
2: time <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know and uh, but, any, but yeah. anyway That's the, the point I'm the, the point I'm trying to make about the association okay so You know, deep down, that's the thing we have to look at, that people are rejecting Krishna consciousness deep within their hearts, almost unknowingly, because they have not yet um, undergone the spiritual training that's necessary to understand spirituality. You know like in other words the point i want to make my Ma, day fruits back up if you if the point i want to make is that um you know if somebody is a spiritual ignoramus why should that person be an authority as to whether you know what the the origin of life is so you know that's something you have we we have to look at um you know, just like, like, for example, for example, um, you know, I mean, I'm going deeply into the philosophy and, and I'll get into some practical things for you in the workplace. The, the point that I want to make is first of all, um, you know, just like, say, for example, we make a new medication and, uh, this medication, you know, you and I created it and, uh, you know, it can cure the common cold. Now, now who has the authority to evaluate whether that medication can actually be sold in CVS pharmacies. You know, can, can uh, for lack of a better example, can you know, you just stop a truck driver out here on uh, what highway I'm on, highway 80? <laughs> can you just stop a truck driver out on highway 80 and ask him to verify, you know, whether the medication actually can do what you say it does? Of course not, because he doesn't have the qualifications to, you know, certify it or to evaluate it. So in the same way, we have to be very careful who we are, you know, accepting as authorities when it comes to evaluating our spiritual lives and the spiritual information that we're being given. You know, there's thousands and thousands of spiritual proofs that support Krishna consciousness but we have to be qualified to evaluate those proofs so the first point you know is that we have to take a very serious approach to becoming qualified spiritually so um, to the point where we can openly discuss our own questions and doubts with anybody and You know, so that's what gives you um, the strength to develop spiritual relationships with materialistic people or with atheists or with with anybody. Um, You know, it starts with us. So first of all, we have to look at our own daily program. Like I was talking about the scale, just like for me. So, you know, I require some extra sleep most of the time because I'm driving during the day now. So what I'll do is I wake up, I'll have my Mangal I do my Mishina Dave prayers, my Tulsi prayers. If I have to, I'll go back to sleep. I'll wake up, but every day I'm doing my morning program. I'm listening to lectures. I'm chanting all my rounds, even extra rounds. I'm doing Kirtan. I'm talking with devotee friends like that. And so when I go into my workplace, what I do is I have, I buy a different books. Like, um, I usually start off with higher tastes. I tell them about Kalachanji's Restaurant Palace in Dallas, which I'm from, and our restaurant's award-winning. And, and my wife and I, we cook for festivals, and I introduce them to the idea of vegetarianism, to talk of them a little bit about spiritualizing their food, that there's a yoga of eating. Give them some great recipes, you know, and, and we start to make a friendship based on just eating. And sometimes I might cook something and bring it to work or, or just, you know, just, just the fact that we have, um, you know, we're kind of like uniting on food. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, cause everybody's going to eat. And if you cook something really good, or if you show them something, say in the higher taste, like one of the famous Singapore recipes, this curry puff that I was telling you about that I liked so much. It's like a, um, a light samosa. And then we take a tamarind chutney and we blend dry cranberries into it and make like a too hot to handle, too sweet to resist cranberry sauce for it. And, and it's like, to me, it's like one of the ultimate foods on the, on the planet. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so when people, you know, when we talk as friends in the workplace and I mentioned that to them, you know, everybody's like, wow. And then if you bring some or you cook something, you bring it to work, and share it with them you know first of all people wild man they feel think like this guy's really generous he's really nice or you know everybody can warm up to that but if they taste it and they really like it they cut. they suddenly uh you know and i did i did this catering of rock concerts and things with my wife called uh, the krishna's cuisine experience the yoga of eating and um we went to sometimes these huge rock concerts. I remember we did one in Denver called the uh, Riot Fest. 280,000 kids were there. Wow. And uh, without getting into it too deeply, you know, like um, the best thing my wife said she, she really enjoyed about coming home from that festival or is that she didn't have to hear the F word. <laughs> um. You know, and, and anyway, uh, uh, I have a, a a little, I want to spiritualize that a little bit because uh, I know that can be kind of harsh for, you know, for people to hear. But the new F word is forgive. So every time, you know, somebody does something that really annoys you, you can just say F you.
2: <laughs>
1: anyway, so, um, yeah. You know, and then what I saw was the, the event, you know, you got people on stage, you know, just swearing and so vulgar and everything. And then the kids, they're getting um, literally robbed by the, 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 the event coordinators, you know, $250 to come in for the weekend, $25, $35 for a t-shirt. You know, if they're hungry, they got to pay $8, you know, for like a 10 ounce cup of frozen french fries. for a 16-ounce bottle of water. You know, They literally turn these kids upside down and just shake shake the money out of their pockets. And then they just throw them away. Nobody really cares about them. And they have a hard time identifying with their parents at home because their parents are saying to them, the best thing you can do with your life is go to school, study a bunch of stuff you're never going to use, and be $100,000 in debt before you even start your career. So they have a hard time swallowing that and uh, they don't feel like anybody really loves them or cares about them because there's nobody really having these kind of loving exchanges with them. And so really what you're left with is groups of kids, two, three kids, four kids that are close to one another sitting on the curb inside the festival and literally um, sedating themselves with different types of intoxication so that they can, um, you know, tolerate and, uh, and, and, and literally, um, you know, forget how much they're being exploited and how little, you know, what, what little, real, little, what real, what, what little interest they have or, or that people have within them. Mm. They, they're literally, um, you know, dealing with like a type of like deep depression mm. So if a devotee shows up there, you know, and shows even a little bit of love to them and gives them a book or, or some Prashadam, like I would get these messages back from kids. Like, I, like um, I did a, a tour um, on a rock concert tour of like 30 shows. And we set up a booth called the mantra meditation booth. So I would tell the kids, look, anybody who leaves me their phone number and their email um, who's really interested. I had like four questions. I said, I'll personally call you. So like the next day or two later, I would call them on the phone, you know, like I, I would get about three to 500 kids to give me their name, their phone number every day. Wow. And I, out of them, out of them, about half of them would actually be real. No. But when I would call, when I would call them, this would be like, this is the response that most of the kids would give me. They, I, I would, you know, they'd answer the phone. They'd answer the phone and like hello. And I'd say, Hey, Hare Krishna, this is Naratam Das from the Warp Tour, one of the monks from the Krishna monk booth. And then they would say, Oh wow, you called me? You called me? And I I'd say, Yeah, I'd say, you remember, I told you guys if if, you you left me your number, I'd call you. Oh, where are you? And you know, oh, we're at the next taunt concert, you know, on the tour tour. Oh man, I wish I was with you guys. You know, I said, well, hey, you know, I'm calling you if, the, if you've tried chanting anymore after, you know, after the festival. And um, like someone, I remember the difference, a lot of, most kids had a really good response about the chanting. But I remember one guy was telling me, oh, God, I went to the temple in Philadelphia. Man, and the devotees, the devotees are awesome. And I, I said, really? I said, you had a good time? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, well, we're calling you to see if you're more interested in us. Maybe we could come over and make pizza for you guys, do some more music and discuss more. Oh, yeah, I got like about 10 friends, man. We could, I didn't could invite them over. And if you guys want to come over, sure. You know, that would be the response for most of the kids. Wow, that's amazing. But if you see them, <laughs> but if you just see them at the festival, they are like totally depressed. Mm. And, um, you know, or, or they're just so intoxicated, you know, like, a, a, like very intoxicated. But you could see a film. We did a film of some of the kids and talking about their experience when they came to, their, to our monitor booth. Some of the, these, I mean, I'm, when I'm saying kids, I'm talking about college students and maybe older than that. But they would come to our booth. They, some of them would come back four or five, six times in, a, in one event and sit down and chant with us. Wow. And talk to us. Most of the bands would come over and talk to us. Famous musicians, like, uh, you know, this one, um, his name's Matsya Yahu. Okay. He's yeah. a, yeah, he's like a hip hop, uh, rap, uh, he's a Jewish rabbi. Yeah. yeah the, he's become a devotee. Oh, wow. He came to our trailer. We were serving, the first time he came walking up, he came up to the trailer, he folded his hands, he said, Hare Krishna. And I asked my friend, who's a, he's a, a music producer. He was with me at the festival helping me. And I said, hey, who's this? And he said, oh my God, this is Matsuyahu. This guy is like really famous. And then he brought his whole band back. And then we were catering the band on the back of the stage. Wow. And then the next thing I know, you know, the, the, my friend was telling me, wow, you know, he's actually practicing devotional service. He's chanting now. He sh- shaved his head. Wow. But um, so, you know, first of all, so in the workplace, okay, first of all, you need a balance. So what I'm saying is whatever you learn in the temple, like there's a morning and evening program, try to just keep that going every day. I mean, I realize some days it's not going to be pra- practical or possible, but to the most, to the, to the best of your ability, do a morning program, you know, maybe even keep your, your, uh, cellular device off until you finish your program, you know, chant, uh, uh, read a little bit, you know, if you can go to the temple with the other devotees, that's going to strengthen you. You know, that's another thing living in a devotional community. Like me, I live right across the street from the temple. It's literally like the deities are like in the next room of my house. Mm. I, when I'm at home, I I go to almost every Artique every day. It's just because it's just two minutes walk from me, from my front door. I just walk in, see the deities, bow down, say my Gayatri, chant my extra rounds, whatever I need to do. Meet, talk to somebody in the temple, meet somebody at our restaurant and go back home. So the thing I was saying about the workplace, so... You know, if you have this, Prabhupada called it a transcendental sandwich. If you have the morning program and you do an evening program for yourself, and then during the day you do your work, right? Okay, so how to spiritualize that? Well, you know, it comes down to how you use the money. If you use the money that you make, say, for distributing books, like me, every week I buy books and I keep the books with me and everybody I meet, I talk to them and I give them a book.
2: Yeah.
1: Everybody, it's a very natural, organic way to do book distribution and to preach without having to have a big festival, without having to do any extra endeavor. And like now the guys that, um, where I work, there's like uh, 40 women in our office and there's like 30 guys um, in the in the shop and, and the rest of, in the, in our second office, and like I'm on the second book. I've I've given them prashadam like half a dozen times. I'm on my second book with them. I'm giving them all signs of self-realization, and people are you know they're like telling me, man, my wife loves the cookbook. She already tried this or that. You know, um, I gave them. I talked to them a little bit about the science of self-realization. They telling me, "Man, this is so interesting." Mm. You know, and it's like I'm telling them, "Look, I'm not trying to convert you guys. I'm not trying to do anything, but this knowledge, it really picks you up." And I, I give them a lot of information, like um, you know, Prabhupada has amazing axioms. Like one of the things I tell them when I give the science of self-realization. I talk a little bit about Prabhupada. I tell him that, you know, first, Prabhupada, you may have never seen him before, but he was the guru for the Beatles. Mm. He even helped them write their music. Mm. And um, in uh, Chant and Be Happy, if you read that, Prabhupada's discussing the lyrics for some of the songs that they're writing. And, And I said, but Prabhupada's also, he's recognized for having written, he wrote more books than even Shakespeare. Crop wrote over hundred titles, like 500 pages each. He's responsible for over 600 million editions of his books in 82 languages. I mean, you know, he translates word by word that the, the original teachings, you know, it's you, you gotta be, you know, at least a little interested in somebody like that. You know, if you're, if you're questioning at all about your life or, or about, you know, how to become more, um, happy, more satisfied. So anyway, I give them a little bit of information about Prabhupada. And then I said one of his axioms was Prabhupada would say is that um, religion without a scientific basis, without a scientific process to realize the soul and God is simply sentimentalism. And science without an absolute truth, without an ultimate reality is simply mental speculation. Just like when they asked Prabhupada about Darwin's theory, Prabhupada said, your forefathers may have been monkeys, but mine were not. (laughs) So I tell them that, you know, Prabhupada wanted to show that this literature gives a scientific basis to our spirituality. I put them on the website, like, like tovp.org. You know, it's all young guys like you building that place with all the scientific information. The, a lot of those guys are featured like on history.com and other. They got some, there's some really good information, like on a high level, um, academic level. That's, be, that's out there right now. Like our Guru Maharaj did a PhD showing that Prabhupada is a bona fide religious authority from an academic perspective. And Harvard printed that as a textbook for Vaishnavism. So, you know, I throw that kind of stuff on them. I give them a book, you know, whenever I can, I get, we share Prashadam. And like now when we see each other, you know, see, like at first... What I find is that, and I find this in my own life. At first, my chanting or my spirituality was getting in the way of my life. But now, my life is getting in the way of my spirituality. (laughs) So, what I find is that the same thing when I meet that now, they're they're like, you know, I mean, who wants to talk about trucking, you know? Like, (laughs) when they see me, you know... So one thing. Sorry, Prabhu,
0: you're you're know, a
1: Then when you, it, yeah, and when you have really satisfying relationships with devotees, the kind that. You know, like there's different levels, like I was talking about the word love in English, right? So here we are equating, you know, our feelings for our dog with the feelings that we have for God. I love God. I love my dog. Right. I love my wife. I love my dog. It's so it's very muddled thinking. Yeah. You know, really, English is an industrial language. It's very mechanistic. It's not personal. So, in Sanskrit, you know, love is broken into many, many different levels. Like, um, sorry, bro. you're breaking up, a little. um, Ruchi, Ruchi. Oh, you have like you have different levels. Can you hear me?
0: Yep, it was breaking up a little bit earlier.
1: Um, yeah, I'm kind of out in the country right now, or I might have gone between cell towers. Uh, okay, but the point. The point I want to make is that, see, in Sanskrit, in Krishna consciousness, we have different levels to our emotions and and um, love. So, you, you know, so there's five basic categories, right? There's um, there's shraddha, which means faith. There's Sadhu sangha, which means good association. Actually, it's Sadhu sangha, then shraddha. We associate with people that are uh, spiritual, that are saintly. Um, then we develop Shraddha, which is faith in them. We trust what they're saying to us is, is good for us. It's true. Then there's Ruchi. We start to develop a taste. Like, wow, you know, I mean, why don't we go to, to visit the, you know, Keishabardi Maharashtra, you know, instead of going and watching, you know, a movie or whatever. You know, you start to get a taste for that. Then there's Bhava. Bhava means when we develop emotions. Like um, that purse we start to con- consider the devotees' <coughs> feelings and needs more than our own self. And then there's prema. Prema means when we develop spontaneous feelings of love, when a, per, when a devotee and when Krishna and the devotees become more important to us than our own life and soul. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, love. You know, when you talk about love from a Krishna conscious perspective, you know, what are you talking about? Are you talking about Ruchi? Are you talking about Shraddha, faith? Are you talking about Prema? You see, it's not muddled. And also Krishna consciousness divides material nature and spiritual nature. You know, like, I mean, we always hear this, right? Somebody will say, oh, something is natural, right? Uh, sex is natural, uh, You know, so many things are natural, right? So the Bhagavad Gita, it asks, which nature are you talking about? Something, is it naturally, is it natural materially or is it natural spiritually? You see, it divides it. Yeah. Can you hear? So, you know, that's the thing. English English just muddles all of that together. Sanskrit is very specific. Hmm. So we develop, you know, a much clearer understanding of ourselves and also Krishna consciousness. that divides the body from the self Mm -hmm. so much so, you know, that we're able to withdraw our consciousness from, you know, our senses, the dictations of our material senses and our minds. And we can just be ourselves for a change. Mm Right. Like there's, there's no reason to become somebody else. All those positions are already taken. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But the problem we're having is we are just so distracted by our senses and our mind. Right. Have you ever been distracted before?
0: Oh yeah. All the time.
1: Right. I mean, that's life, right. We're going from one distraction to the next. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I tell, I talk to people about the difference between their faith and their um, intrinsic qualities That's the difference between Krishna consciousness and what's being taught as religion. Religion deals with faith. Faith can change, right? We could be Christians, Buddhists, Hindus, basketball players, right? Or we could, um, you know, uh, uh, that all can change. But our intrinsic quality, like the intrinsic quality of sugar is sweetness. Intrinsic quality of fire is heat and light. And the intrinsic quality of all of us, it doesn't matter who we are, it's the quality of service. Just like when you help somebody else, Winston, how do you feel? Feel great. You feel great, right? Because that's our intrinsic quality. That never changes like our face. Yeah. Now, when we purify that and when we bring it up to, purify means when we free our service attitude from expectations. When we free our service attitude from you know trying to um get something from someone else mm-hmm. then and when we elevate it to the transcendental platform transcendental if you look in the dictionary it means something that is beyond the influence of time something that is not under the pre, the, the confines of past present and future so when you put when you elevate your consciousness to the platform of pure service attitude on a transcendental platform then you're happy all the time mm. and you're no longer controlled by material things rather you can control material things and utilize them in a way that helps you and others around you spiritually mm. and when you do that when you have friendships like that in the workplace Man your friendships become ecstatic you 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 become excited to make friends you want to associate with other people you 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 you're looking forward to going to work mm, i see and then if you take your money and use it in a spiritual way you know to whatever degree you can rupa goswami is talking about using 50% of your income in a spiritual way putting 25% of it in the bank and using 25% of it to, to maintain your family, not everybody can do that, but you know, to whatever degree you can do it, and use the money in a spiritual way that enlivens you, you know, support like devotees that are really, you know, that that really um, inspire you, um, support projects that inspire you, you know, buy books, give the books out to your friends, or, or you know, like do things with your money. That are directly in Krishna consciousness. Invite people to your home, spend your money to have some nice prasadam, do some kirtan, all of these things. Then when you go to work, you'll feel like you, you, you not, I shouldn't say you will feel, you will experience that your work is becoming transformed, it's becoming spiritualized. Mm. That you're actually working for Krishna and Guru. Mm. And if you're balanced spiritually, then you will get enough, you will get such a good, um, you know, experience in your heart and in your life that it will automatically take you away from your spiritual, from your material desires. It's not that we become materially dead, but the difference is we start to use material things in a spiritual way. Yes, Mm you see mm-hmm. it's not a matter of, of giving up material things that's the point about arjun in the bhagavad gita right he didn't krishna told him even if you go to the forest you're still going to be a warrior mm-hmm. you know so you know you, but what you need to understand is how do you, to spiritualize your life as a warrior yeah. Just like a knife, Prabhupada gives the example of a knife. A knife in the hands of a criminal can kill us. The same knife in the hands of a surgeon can save our life. So the m- knife is not intrinsically good nor bad, but depending on how we utilize it, it becomes good or bad. So the same way material energy, it is Krishna's energy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't just come from nothing. Yeah. It doesn't. All right. So so this come, this energy is Krishna's property, but it's temporary. But even though it's temporary, it has an intrinsic value that it's the property of God. Yeah. You see, just like a million dollars, a million or let's just t- let's talk about a trillion dollars, a trillion dollars. You know, it's just basically um, worthless paper. You know, I mean, it, it, for what it actually is, it's just paper. Like my, if it was in your front yard if a bunch of paper just blank paper blew into your front yard you know you just rake it up and throw it in the trash but but currency notes because they have an invested value they have an intrinsic value given by the government you can take that worthless paper and you can invest it and do amazing things yeah so the same way even this material energy is basically temporary manifestation but because it's the property of God we can take it it has an value of God we can take it and use it in God's service in Krishna's service and it gives us a tremendous benefit mm-hmm. uh-huh. spiritual benefit so it's not that we have to give up anything material in fact we need to utilize everything we possibly can like Prophet said, if you're going to go out and work, you should make as much money as possible, hmm. right? It's not. It's not like you know. Krishna consciousness is not telling, "Hey, Bhakti the wisdom, st- you know, get rid of your 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 new Lexus, and I want you to start driving around in a motor rickshaw from India." <laughs>
0: right. No, uh, probably. I think we're. Uh... Sorry to cut us a little bit short, but uh, we're running close on time and I wanted to make sure that uh, our audience had some time for Q&A. Um, okay, sure, please. Can we ask you a few questions? Please do. Okay, awesome. Um, if anyone would like to ask uh, Nartam Program some questions, please uh, feel free to unmute yourself or, or type in the chat.
3: Just one comment
1: all I see is this bald head at the uh, on the screen. who's that? Oh,
3: I can't see myself right now, but
1: <laughs> ah there he is Jai Prabhu, my oasis just
3: my wife grew bhakti she has a what's called a smart table at her doctor's office she has book books Prabhupada's books and books in bhakti yoga. And over the years, several nice people have gotten the books. Some of them have even watched this Zoom program, and some of them are chanting Hare Krishna. So it's a very unintrusive way to share Krishna consciousness with someone. And there's so many ways. I really appreciate narottam's sharing how he gives higher-taste books and prasadam. And, you know, I think it's great. Just a comment.
1: Oh, that's a wonderful thing. I remember Vishwam Prabhu. He's a Prabhupada disciple. He's he's taken Vana Prastha now. He was an orthodontist, and he told me that he kept a library of all of Prabhupada's books in his dentist's office, and uh, they would give out, you know, they had a stack of magazines for people to take home. So people would come in and sit in the office while they're waiting to see him. And sometimes they would open the books and take a look or, you know, they would take magazines home like that. And then from the money that he was making, just like I know your good wife, Mother Grubhakti, um, he invested. He told me he gave um, $100,000 to $150,000 donations to, you know, not just once, uh, repeatedly over a number of years to both um, Mayapur and Vrindavan. And also he was, he, at that point also, he became the temple president for the Detroit temple. So he was operating his dentist office and then being the president for the temple um, as devotional service, you know, without taking a salary. So, yeah, that's wonderful. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but sometimes, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, devotees will become discouraged um, and they'll say things like, oh, you know, we've distributed so many books. It's not it's it, it, nothing's happening. You know, people are not joining and so forth. But that's not true. You guys, if you look at this movement, it's expanded like all over the world. 650 centers, uh, restaurants, farms, schools, food relief, um, so many different you know, festivals, rathiatras, all this stuff. This is all based on book distribution. These temples were pretty much all built by by money that was raised through book distribution. And, you know, so many of us receive books. Yeah, not everybody joins the temple, but I mean, I don't think that's realistic to even think like that. You know, like, let's just say, for example, if everybody in the city of Houston wanted to become a devotee today, Would you expect them all to move into the temple (laughs) obviously not obviously not so you know but if you look in the city of houston where you know over many years books have been distributed not only are there well-wishers i mean i was there after the grand opening and uh, one of the city representatives came and i went on this tour with shamsundar Prabhu. and the city representative i'm sorry i can't remember his name off the top of my head american man and he was so impressed by the temple and by Prabhupada's books and by the devotees and by the magnitude of the grand opening. And, and also just like all of those Nam um, Namhata adult education programs that you guys do, you know, in people's homes where they're studying books, they're buying sets of books for their homes. You know, these books are powerful and the chanting of the holy name is non-different than Krishna himself. I mean, the more we spread this, you know, even if somebody takes it up, even just to a small degree, like, like if somebody, let's say, for example, a college professor, my Guru Maharaj, he met so many college professors. So after he passed away, after Tamal Krishna Maharaj passed away, a group of these professors that were helping him, cooperating with him on different projects that he was working on. They finished those particular projects and um, and Satyuraj Prabhu printed this Vaishnava journal. And I mean, I read what these professors wrote. It's just amazing. The amount of the depth of Krishna consciousness that they imbibed just in the course of an academic relationship, you know, that was probably, you know, very sparse. So, you know, if even one person like embraces even one small part of Prabhupada's worldview, it has a powerful effect. It has a huge effect, you know, just like, vegetarianism, I remember when I, uh, not too long after I joined, I went to Guru Prashad Swami's parents' home, because Maharaj asked me to help him in in Mexico, and uh, we would stop at his parents' home, which is in Harlingen, it's like right on the border of Texas between uh, America and Mexico, so they had a guest room, so we would stay there, and his dad started talking to me, and um, his father was very rich, like his father. He was the kind of guy who was like a paperboy when he was 14. And by the time he was married, he owned three major newspapers. He, he owned the newspaper that he was a paperboard for. And he was like the major investor of 28 newspapers across America. He told me that he had $50 million in savings, not including his investments and his properties. When I was talking to him, it was funny because I had come back from Hong Kong and um, we became friends. Guru Mahar's father and I became friends because we were both acquainted with the Hari Leelas. The Hari Leelas are an Indian family in Hong Kong who became uh, very rich. They came from India almost penniless, but they later became very rich. And and the Hari Leelas uh, helped us open the temple in Hong Kong with a major donation. And um, so the Hari Leelas had gone on a, on a cruise with Guru Prashad Maharaj's parents. And I was asking his, his, you know, his father, how much does something like that cost? So when that time I was talking to him, he was organizing the 10th world cruise on the Queen Elizabeth. So if you guys aren't familiar, the Queen Elizabeth, it's like the ultimate cruise ship in the world. So he told me that just the tickets for the cabin for three weeks cost 64,000 bucks, 32,000 per person for the cabin. And then he told me he spends another 150 to $250,000 on the ship, just eating, buying drinks, uh, jewelry and gambling. Guru Prashad Maharaj's father told me that. So we became friends. So this is years and years ago, right? So Maharaj, uh, his father, he leaned over to me and he said, you're not one of those Hari
0: Krishnas, are you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what happened was, just so you know, um, I was sitting there, they had like a breakfast bar. I was eating some breakfast and a group of his father was sitting in, the, in this like uh, rec room watching television and his wife came in and he started to argue with his wife. And I was there watching it. And, uh, you know, finally, Guru Pashad Maharaj's father turns to his wife and says, what the hell do you want from me anyway? And I was thinking, wow, that's a really interesting question because – you know, here he, is, here, here, here he is arranging the 10th world cruise on the Queen Elizabeth for her. She had a beautiful home, beautiful car. She had a, a summer house in, in the, or whatever it is, up in Colorado in the mountains, right? All this money, $50 million in the bank. And I was thinking, man, why don't you tell him that, why don't you give me Krishna? Because none of this material things are making me happy.
2: <laughs>
1: I'm sitting there just meditating like that and I'm waiting for her to see what she says. So she sees me and she's embarrassed. So she just storms out of the room. And then about five minutes later, she comes back in and she tells him, I'm going to leave for two weeks with my daughter to our summer house in Colorado. And I said, I, and I'm, I'm still sitting there eating, you know, like I'm ash- kind of ashamed to be there in the middle of their fight, but I, it just all unfolded so quick. And uh, so then, then the father, he ter- tells, he asks his wife, Who's going to take care of me? And then, right at that time, uh, while you're gone. And then, right at that time, Guru Prashad Maharaj came into the room. And then his mother turned to us and uh, she said, They're going to take care of you while I'm gone. (laughs) (laughs) So she just volunteered us right on the spot, man. It was really on the spot. And I knew Guru Maharaj was obliged to her because she would like sneak you know, give him like 10 grand at a time when he would go to Mexico and stuff, you know, to help support him yeah. and everything secretly, you know, cause the father never wanted to support him. Uh, uh, and, and as a devotee preaching, you know, like his dad, once his dad told him, he said, um, if you give up this sannyas and, start, and come home and start working in the newspaper, I guarantee you $250,000 a year, every year for the rest of your life. What do you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> I was there once when his, his father said to him, I'm prepared to give you $10,000 right now in your hand. If you sit down here and drink a bottle of booze and eat a steak like a man. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so wait a minute. So, so anyway, the point I'm trying to make here is that, so after, so once his mother volunteered us, you know, and I knew Maharaj was so obligated to her and um, the father, then he turns to us and he says, He says all right all right i don't care if they take care of me and then he turns to maharaj and i and he says to us but i'm not gonna eat any of that faggot vegetarian food
2: (laughs) oh my gosh oh my gosh
1: (laughs) this is like uh you know 40 years ago in america right oh my goodness yeah so you know what maharaj and i did was uh, we, we went out, that time there was this, this group, the Seventh Day Adventist group, um, they're still around and uh, they were vegetarians and they had this uh, product called Loma Linda, I don't know if it's still available, <clears throat> I haven't looked for it, but they made all this mock meat like they have like cans of like uh, whatever it is, you know, tofu, chicken and you know all that mock meat stuff that the Buddhists use now so Maharaj and I I we when he Marge actually called up um, Bhakti Sundar Marge. He was living in that area and asked him to buy some of it. And then we were cooking for Guru Prashad Marge's father with this mock meat. <laughs> and he thought he thought he was eating meat. You guys. Oh my gosh. Now, if you look at that, to what vegetarianism is like today in America. Mm you could see the huge transformation. I mean, there are like, a, there are like major scholars in the world today, like Ail like Basham. He's considered like the top um, you know, university research you know, professor on Southeast Asian religions and philosophy. And he says that no one, since, even since the day of Jesus Christ, has done more to spread a religion, and to spiritualize society throughout the world than Srila Prabhupada. Like, uh, there was one, I was in Vrindavan, and there was one famous sannyasi, he came from South India, he's from the Madhavacharya sect. We come in this line, it's called the, um, it's called the Gaudiya Madhava, so uh, the, the, the Brahma, Gaudiya, Madhava, Sampradaya. So we're in the line of Madhavacharya. So one of their famous sannyasis who's living today, he came to It with Srila Prabhupada's appearance day. He spoke about Prabhupada and he said that he considered Prabhupada to be greater than Lord Shiva. Now, this is in India. Now, that's a very heavy statement. You know, it's like somebody getting on, on you know, in front of the public and saying that they consider Prabhupada greater than... Than Jesus Christ, right? In front of a group of Christians. So, anyway, you know, in front of a group of Hindus and all these American devotees, there's probably 2,000 of us there. He said he considered Prabhupada greater than Lord Shiva. And so I was wondering, well, how can he say that? And then he went and explained, he said that Lord Shiva was able, with his spiritual power, he was able to control the flow of the Ganges falling from the heavens. And he was able to let the Ganges flow out across India, um, which removes the sinful reactions of all those who bathe in the water, in her waters. He said, but Prabhupada was so powerful that he was able to bring down the ocean of love of God from Goloka Vrindavan and indonate the entire world.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) So, you know, we have to look, we have to see, you know, things with, our, with spiritual vision and we also have to look like, um, you know, there was one professor, he wrote a book about our movement. and He was saying that in the first 50 years of Christianity or in the first 50 years of Mohammedism, it didn't spread like Krishna consciousness has spread all over the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this and the, these teachings that Prabhupada have given us in this practice I mean it literally spiritualizes our lives. I mean all of us experience this practically. Mm. You know? Prophet has given us a system a daily that, that we can adopt into our daily life a very simple system of meditation and spirituality that we can adopt into our daily lives that give us practical experience and freedom from the lower modes of nature, from ignorance and from passion. So the book distribution works, the chanting works, we, you know, and, and again, it comes down to the having the right association and like-minded association. And then also uh, uh, applying these teachings, the philosophy is the highest, you know, but even higher than that is practicing the philosophy.
2: Yeah.
1: So that's what we need to do. And the, and, the, and the strength to do that comes by our association.
0: Absolutely. Well, um, speaking of practicing philosophy, um, I do need to uh, sign off and finish chanting my rounds for the day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I have a few rounds myself, Dr. I,
1: anyway, I hope I covered I mean, this topic is a big topic. I tried to cover as much of it as I can, you know. Okay. And I thank you guys so much for giving me the opportunity to discuss Krishna consciousness. I mean, I'm a very uh, simple and, you know, uh, mediocre person, materially and spiritually. But, you know, having the opportunity to associate and to try to express my experience and and my practice of Krishna consciousness, you know, it it really makes me feel, um, what should I say, justified. (laughs) 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 Oh, Naraton? Hare Krishna, Prabhu. My yeah, no, this is Samadhi uh,
3: Bhakti Sam from 30, yeah. 35, 40 years ago. It's great to see you. <laughs> nice to see you, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna, yes. I'd love to uh, reach out if, um, and, and, uh, and get in touch with you uh, more. Um, so just, let, just like. let me know. That'd be fantastic.
1: I remember you, Samadhi. So thank you for that.
3: Thanks great. for opening
1: up. Yeah, anytime you're welcome to. I mean, I'm here on Zoom. Otherwise, uh, if you want to take my contact information, you're welcome to. Um,
0: I can type your uh, man type your number in the in the chat
1: or. Yeah, that'd be great. Put my cell phone number on the chat. That's a, the best way to reach me is by text, and then from text by talking because I'm driving a lot, and emails are just like a thing of the past with me. I mean, I'm like. Okay, absolutely,
0: absolutely. I'll send you
3: some um, text. Yes.
0: Okay, I just typed his number in the in the chat.
3: Thank oh, you. Okay, so got much. it. Thank you so much. Fantastic.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for joining. Um, and uh, okay,
3: with,
1: on that note, Bhakta Winston, please chant some great rounds.
0: <laughs> thank you, Jay. <yeah>, you
1: too. <laughs> thank you so much yeah. for joining us. And thank you, Sarva Prabhu and Mother Guru Bhakti, for organizing this with uh, Bhakta Winston. It's just a, really a pleasure to, to be together like this.
3: Hari Krishna. Fantastic. Hi
1: Krishna Samadhi Prabhu, you also. Thank you for joining. You too, Mahadev Prabhu. Hare Krishna.
3: Thank that's you, B- Prabhu. Doctor Jack, that's not Mahadev. Remember, Doctor Jack from Dallas? Yeah, that's. I thought that's Mahadev. That's Bhakta Jack. I I was wondering who that was.
1: Oh, there you are. Now I can. Now I know who it is by your when you talk. Wow! I still remember you used to deliver paintings to us in in Midland in different places. All over the country. Yeah,
3: yeah. Hi, back to Jack. Really nice to see you. I Jai. thought you were Mahadev. No, I, I I kept wondering, I trying to see who Mahadev, where he was. But yeah, I I I, I had a, a class. A